This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, Episode 215. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lam Ramayasha. And today we are taking a manga to court. We are going to put the manga Gakyo Hote School Judgment by Nobuaki and Oki and Takashi Obata on trial in the case of manga podcasters Long Ravics and Shonen Bop versus Gakyo Hote. And indeed, joining us to help prosecute, serve as a witness in our case against Gakyo Hote as one of the worst shonen manga ever read is <laughs> David from the Jonah Flop podcast and of course as an expert in all things bad shonen jump manga canceled manga it was great to have him like on our team as we really try to litigate all the crimes Hayakihote commits against the name of good decency and good storytelling and just <laughs> good plain entertainment so yes we are really Going hard. We're going to bring the hammer down on Gakuhote. And uh, we're going to have the, I guess, you, the listeners at home decide on our case and whether we made the case against it. But then ultimately, uh, the honorable judge in this hearing over this case is going to make his verdict too. So, yeah, look forward to that. Oh, boy. I know we're really kind of like showing our hand very early here, but like. There's no need to beat around the bush on this. Gakuhote was uh, quite the trial to get through. I'm just going to say that Gakuhote was so taxing and so terrible that uh, I'm going to say that's the reason that Jordan could not join us for this episode, unfortunately. Yes. I mean, unfortunately, there were other circumstances uh, at the time, so he could not join us for the episode, but we definitely have extended him an invitation to be on the show, and we'd definitely love to have both David and Jordan on the show together uh, at some point to talk about. Hopefully, among them, they actually like, but yes, Gakyote was such a trial, we needed to put it on trial, and that's what <laughs> you'll be listening to today. You'll be listening to the minutes of the trial of Gakyote recorded, like, sometime on a Friday night in April 2022 so you know it's been a long time to be able to get this out to the public you know a lot of a lot of red tape and legal mumbo to just get this documentation out there to the people to listen and to hear everything we gotta say against Yakyo Hote but uh, it's it's not a time you know this manga just for eight years no one has really brought it to justice and now it's finally our time it's finally the time to revisit reevaluate all its sins, and finally lay down our judgment on school judgment. What you are listening to is real. The participants are not actors. They are actual podcasters with a case against a cancelled manga in Shonen Jump. All parties have agreed to vent their thoughts and have their disputes with the series settled here in our podcast forum. The Manga Mavericks Court! And now, presiding over the court today, the Honorable Judge Menthol! Hello, I am Judge Menthol, and welcome to the Manga Mavericks Court. Today, we will be hearing the case of manga podcasters versus the manga Gakyo Hote School Judgment, written by Nobu Aki Enoki and artist Takeshi Obata. As this is a public arbitration trial against a comic book series and not any actual people, 
There are no representatives on behalf of the defense, nor are there attorneys representing the prosecution or defense. The court did issue a subpoena to the creators of the comic to appear in this court today. For ignoring our notice, artist Takashi Obata will be given a warning. Since they are currently working on an ongoing manga series and are busy, we can understand and just give them a warning. But writer Nobuaki Anoki, who has not written any manga since this series, has no excuse and will be found in contempt. Instead, I, the Honorable Judgment All, will be hearing from the plaintiffs who have brought the case before our court today in an open forum discussion. After hearing from all parties on their complaints and evidence against the series, I will pass judgment and lay down a ruling over whether or not the manga in question is or is not indeed a bad manga. The court now calls to the stand our first plaintiff, David from the Shonen Flop podcast. May the plaintiff introduce themselves and their work to the court and explain why they are here today. Thank you, Honorable. I don't know if you're a judge or a prosecutor, but I'll... <laughs> I am the Honorable Judge Mental. Oh, thank you, uh, Judge Mental. You're a great type of cigarette. Um, My name is David. I am from the Shonen Flop Podcast, and thank you guys so much, or thank you folks so much for having me on the show. So just to say a little bit about myself, Shonen Flop is a podcast where me and my co-host Jordan, we take a look at the lesser-known manga that ran in Shonen Jump. You know, they all can't be winners like Naruto, Dragon Ball Zero, One Piece, so we've read some absolutely crazy stuff, including some clunkers by offers that you've probably heard of. Um, including this series, where actually that episode just came out about two weeks ago, where we likewise covered it. We had Zach from the One Piece podcast on, and it was a ton of fun. And you can find us at shonenflop.com. That's S-H-O-N-E-N-F-L-O-P.com, or on Twitter, shonenflopcast. Excellent. The court indeed acknowledges that was a great podcast episode. Oh, thank you. However, we are here today to relitigate this series and come to... A new conclusion if it is so reached. Our court now tells it is our next plaintiff, Colton, host of the Manga Mavericks podcast. Colton, explain why we are here today. Uh, well, uh, Honorable Judge Mental, I believe that's your name. We are here today because this is once again uh, one of our signature jump stop podcasts, as I like to call them, where uh, we too, just like the Shonen Flop podcast, cover every once in a while uh, one or two canceled Shonen Jump manga because that's something that we've kind of been doing nice. since the start of the show almost. And so I feel a little kinship towards um, Jordan and David because when, when I saw that, you know, you guys started up a podcast dedicated to this specific thing i was like oh man we we got some competition oh my god i still remember uh <laughs> there was another podcast called the shonen fiasco show which <laughs> was originally called shonen flop and then we came out before them and yeah there was like a tweet from like six months before we started i was like hey does anybody want to make a manga or a podcast about covering canceled manga called shonen flop and then we came out and he had to like redo his logo and everything <laughs> and then that podcast died oh, man. so it's okay Mm, so, so, sounds like a copyright case to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, maybe we should have defended ourselves in kids' court. You should have brought it before me in court. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, we, we might take care of that next time. But yeah, I'm here to help cover that because, once again, I, I do love covering these types of specific manga. And, you know, I, I also love listening to Shonen Flop as well uh, whenever you guys cover a particular series that I've, I've read before. Does that do it for you, Honorable Judgmental? The court agrees with your statements. And that, indeed, the adage is true, great minds think alike. 
in both these podcasts' respective Aww. coverage of canceled Shonen Jump manga. <laughs> the court indeed acknowledges they do a very good job. However, the court now asks Colton to answer the question, what is this series, Gakyo Hote School Judgment? All right, so... I'm going to do my best to try to, like, give at least the bare bones explanation of what the series is about without, like, spoiling too much. Because this is technically, like, a mystery manga, which, you know, that's another thing that I love watching out for from Shonen Jump is whenever they try to do a mystery manga, especially when, you know, there's, like, a bonus page in the volumes of um, of Gaku Hote about how Inoki, he talks about specifically how, you know, he, he would come up with mysteries, you know, with his editor, and sometimes, you know, they'd be stumped on what kind of mysteries to come up with and he all he could think was like man how does how does Aoyama from Case Close do it <laughs> you know but I'll try to do my best to explain so Gaku Hote takes place in a world where basically the Japanese schooling system I guess has really just gone to shit you know in modern times so the Japanese school system thinks it would be a good idea to start up the system where they literally turn children into like lawyers and attorneys and prosecutors to basically start up this system where they have classroom trials to basically solve all kinds of cases. We have Abaku Inugami. He's essentially our main character. He loves to do what he calls Ranpa, where he he loves debating people. And I have to admit, David, when I listen to your guys' chibi on um, Gakuhote, I haven't had a chance to listen to your full episode yet, unfortunately. But I, I hate to admit it, when when you guys uh, compared him to Ben Shapiro, I couldn't I couldn't unsee it. I mean, this really is like Rampa is pretty much like the most libertarian word I've ever heard in my entire life. Like Jordan came up with calling it Ron Paul, which I, is like a joke so good. I wish I had thought of it. <laughs> That's pretty fucking good. Um, but. Yeah, essentially, after he helps out our other sort of main character, uh, Tento Nanahoshi, with the first case of the series and proves him innocent, uh, they basically go around solving all kinds of different cases and along the way also trying to find out basically the mystery behind the bloody classroom session that uh, Inugami and a few of his friends unfortunately were involved in, you know, a few years back when they were uh, a little younger. And uh, yeah, that that's kind of like the basic plot of the story. Like, it is kind of like Case Close, where it's like, it's sort of like a mystery of the week kind of thing, also kind of building up to a bigger mystery, kind of. <laughs> it's the best way I can describe it. It's just not done as well, is the thing. There's a lot of things about this series that are not done as well. The court acknowledges the validity of both statements. <laughs> the court will also now provide to the plaintiffs the evidence mentioned in the testimony of the author's written comments, all compiled in a document for further reference throughout the forum and trial today. Oh my. The court must now ask for the plaintiff's backgrounds and experiences with this series before bringing it to court today. Yeah, I mean, basically, David, uh, did you have any experience with Gaki Hote before you guys covered it on your show? Like, did you know anything about it, like, going in? No, or we probably wouldn't have covered it, given that this series sexualizes 12-year-olds quite extensively. The court must ask, did you cover this series after being contacted by the other plaintiff here today to come on the show? We actually plan out what manga we're going to cover about two or three months in advance. So uh, this has been on our radar for a long time. So it was just a fun coincidence that y'all wanted us to talk about it as well. Excellent. Indeed, the court will say... Those are the best type of coincidences, the coincidences that work out. And on that note, actually, what what inspired you to have Jordan and I on for this series? I think it was mostly because, like, we just wanted to have you guys on to cover a canceled manga because 
that's literally the point of your guys' show is that you cover canceled manga. <laughs> True. Yes, the court will acknowledge a statement from the late plaintiff, Lum Ramiyasha, who says that the reason they in particular wanted the Shonen Flop host David and Jordan on their show to discuss Gaku Hope Day is because they are a big fan of their show Aww. and they had not covered Gaku Hope Day on their show yet so they thought it would be a great opportunity knowing they had planned to cover it on Mavericks this year to invite them on. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, honorable judge, where, where is Lum Ramayasha? That I would assume you would know as the friend of the other plaintiff. We will have to wait and see if they appear in court today. Let us return now to the question, what is your experience with this series? Uh, are, are you asking me, Honorable Judge? I am asking both, but we will start with you, since you have brought it here first today. Well, I mean, like David said, I it sounds like David didn't really have any like experience with it going in. I myself actually read this series week to week uh, as it was uh, running in Shonen Jump. Oh, wow. Because this was around the time, I want to say like six months ago or something, like back in 2013 was when I started up my Shonen Jump subscription from Viz. And so I had already been following the magazine for a while. And obviously, this was also around the time when Viz was doing their Jumpstart program, where they would publish the first three chapters of every new series. And depending on how much, you know, their audience uh, enjoyed the series or how, depending on how much demand there was for it, uh, they would actually pick it up for a simulpub. And um, we, we won't get into it today because uh, we don't have a whole lot of time. But I will say that uh, out of everything that came out in that particular round of new serializations, Gaku Hote was easily the one that, like, I was the most interested in keeping up with anyway, because uh, Taka Takujo no Ageha, which is a table tennis manga, a very perverted table tennis manga. Oh, so I guess it's just, uh, that was just a time period. Yeah, um, it's also kind of weird because this was the same serialization round as E-Robot, which is a series that we constantly mention on this podcast as a series that's clearly meant to be like an etchy gag manga. Specifically one where uh, it involves uh, one of the protagonists is obviously a robot girl who has breast missiles, which is the only reason I wanted to read it and nothing else, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> I, I've been wanting to cover it, but I couldn't find it translated. No, anywhere. unfortunately, it never got licensed officially, and I don't think anyone's ever, Aww. like, scan scanlated it. Tr trust me, I, I look from There's time to time. There's uh, much better things. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I read it, I read this week to week, and I legitimately enjoyed it week to week, even though I think reading it week to week, I wasn't able to really keep up with like the mysteries and like all the twists and turns and like how it unraveled. I think at least reading every mystery or case or whatever, like in chunks, like helped me, you know, keep up the series a little better. Uh, especially with everything that happens at the end, which we'll definitely get to. But um, yeah, I, I legitimately liked reading it week to week back then. Um, but I will say revisiting it for the show today. I have to say that a lot of the things that admittedly even I, I even noticed like back then, like I, I even looked through old, my old tweets. I even tweeted about it. The what was it? The the full page spread of all the elementary school girls in bikinis. And I even even back then I was like, I don't know about this guy. I don't know about this. Th th that <laughs> stuff in particular really kind of soured my reading experience so much more than even back then. But again, we'll we'll get into it when we get into it. But suffice to say, this is one of the few series that we've revisited for the show that I unfortunately didn't really like as much as when I read it the first time. Oh, but that's at least means that you your tastes have improved. Yes, yes. <laughs> we all we all learn and change over time. Indeed, duly noted. That means that's a. Uh... Legal talk for your opinion was not interesting. <laughs> it will be written down in the record for reference in the judgment. Yeah. Where is your stenographer anyway? In the background. 
We don't pay attention to the stenographer in these recordings. That is background work. Yeah, very it good. It is just like film versions of these types of shows, types of arbitration public forum cases. The court must now ask plaintiff Lom Ramayasha to appear before the court. They have since been absent and the court has been patient, but if do they not appear within the next few seconds, the court will have no choice but to hold them in contempt. Mm, well, I, I, hope, I hope they arrive soon because I'm really interested in how they felt about Kakiote. Oh, oh. <laughs> sorry about that, everyone. Sorry about that, Judge. I'm so sorry. I, I was just late in traffic, you know. Very busy time of year. Very, very chaotic weather here in Minnesota, you know. You think it's spring? You think it's going to come all sunny and rainbows? But no, you, you have snow in April. That's just a crazy place this place is, you know, Judge? Calm yourself, plaintiff. You have just barely reached here on time. You will not be held in contempt, but you are going to be given a strict warning for your behavior. If you do not fall in line, you will be given severe reprimands. Oh, my apologies. <laughs> I, I'll uh, play along right now, okay? You know, I'm here. I'm here to talk about the series, and yeah, let's 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 get it all out there. Let I'm on here to present my case against the series. I see. So you have a case against the series then? Well, yeah, you know, I read it uh, with my own eyes just now, and yet I don't think it holds up very well. You know, uh, I have a lot of complaints about it. Uh, a lot of things really gross me out, you know? It's uh, kind of surprising this kind of series got published at all, honestly, uh, with some of the stuff in here. I see. So you are telling the court that you are not a fan of the series? No, no, no. I see. What was your previous experience with the series? Please tell the court. Oh, you know, I was also an avid jump reader back in 2014. That was an era where I was on the Animation Revelation forums, I was writing my thoughts on all the manga I was reading weekly, and I was keeping up with basically the entirety of the Shonen Jump lineup that was being translated at the time, you know, scanlated and officially translated. I hadn't quite subscribed to the official Jump yet when this series had come out, but, you know, I checked out the first chapter, and I was really interested in it. Obviously, Takashi as an artist, was a big fan of his. I thought the premise was really interesting, you know, really unique. Like, a uh, manga, a series, a show, or a premise where the kids, you know, they are the judge and the jury. They decide for themselves. They take the law into their own hands and, you know, they rule on their own problems. They arbitrate it between themselves. No adult interference. You know, that's a cool concept. That's a nice concept to have in a kid's magazine, right? You know, it's a little bit empowering. I thought it was really unique and fun and how, like, they could take these very mundane situations, these schoolyard uh, beefs, and they could build and take it seriously, you know, a, a legal courtroom case around it. Over-the-top personalities, right? You know, it was clearly very Phoenix Wright-inspired and, like, how Abaku says objection. Very clearly, you know, over-the-top and bombastic in the, how the various, like, characters, personalities of the uh, judges and prosecutors and even the students presented, you know, so I really appreciated that. But, you know, I had great taste back then. I wasn't that into the series. You know, I just read it along as it was going on. I, I you know, it was a series I read. I 
can't say I, I really got that into it, especially with all the problematic content in it. You know, I was self-aware even back then. I I surely would have picked up on that stuff. So, you know, I, I read the series. There's things to appreciate and be intrigued by the premise, but I wasn't that big into it. No, 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 siree. I see. Plaintiff Lomomayasha, you did agree to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, didn't you? Well, well, yeah, of course, you know, I'm in court. Uh, actually, I don't think you actually said that to me when I entered the courtroom. I probably missed that part, but, you know, I know the rules of the court. I see. That is duly noted as a mistake of the court, but you stand by your statements that you are not a fan of this series when it was running. No, no, I wasn't a big fan of this series. I see. Plaintiff Lamariasha, may I return you to evidence presented to the court of your forum comments in the Animation Revelation forums is currently running manga discussion thread. Oh, oh dear, uh, you looked at those. You looked those up, didn't you? Oh, well, you know, I, I'm sure we can look at those. There's probably nothing that counteracts my testimony there. I see. So, you said you were not a big fan of the series. Then, what did you mean by, on February 23rd, 2015, you wrote, I'm especially looking forward to seeing the next installments of Gakuhote. So glad I subscribed to Jump, if just so I can read this. Uh, you know, I'm, I was glad I subscribed to Jump to read it, because, you know, it was not really being scanlated at the time. You know, the, the first chapter or two got scanlated, but the rest really wasn't by scanlation groups at the time. So, you know, it was just nice to be able to read the series in any capacity. I see. May we refer to the comment made on March 21st, 2015, where you wrote, if you were to ask me to list the top five weekly manga I'd be most excited to read, you put at number three in this list of the top five, Gaku Hote. Um, you know, it probably was slim pickings at the time. You know, Food Wars and Assassination Classroom, those, those were great series. You know, Gaku Hote, you know, it's like kind of like the draw, really. Gakuhote was luck the draw better than World Trigger and Yamada-kun that you ranked at 4 and 5. Um, um, well, uh... And what about these other comments where you write things like, I weep for Gakuhote. Gakuhote will probably end the next issue and I will go in a deep state of depression once it does. Gakuhote is fucking amazing and shouldn't be ranking below unnamed series, much less at the bottom of the ranking. And this final comment, written in the aftermath of the publication of the epilogue chapter of the series on June 8, 2015, it was one of the best endings a series cut before its time could have possibly managed. And it goes on to say why I might go so far to say that this is one of the best manga endings I've read in general. And you can honestly tell the court today, with this evidence against you, that you were not a fan of the series during the time of its publication. Uh, well, well, look, maybe at the time of its publication, but you know, I wised up soon after. I, I surely wasn't still a fan of it and didn't think fond of it afterwards. You know, I, I haven't thought about the series uh, since then. I didn't think highly of the series after that, after it got published. May I remind you that you were under oath? Um, well, yes, I know that. May the court now see the second piece of evidence, a right stuff order from June uh -oh. 2016, in which 
it is clearly shown that you purchased three volumes, all three published volumes of Gaku Hote. Um, well, you can't prove that I'm the order, you know, it has your name on the receipt, Plaintiff Lamramayasha. Well, you know. And may we submit this next piece of evidence to the court from January 2017, the intro to your podcast Manga Fights, which extensively and heavily uses panels from Gakyu Hote in the video. Um, um... May I remind you that you have just lied in the face of all this evidence? What do you have to say for yourself? <laughs> oh, you got me! Yes, I was a fan of this series back then. I did really enjoy it. I did think the premise was really unique. And honestly, I still think it is. You know, a kid's lawyer manga? A kid's courtroom manga? A kid's courtroom premise series? You know, where else? Where else has that been done before, right? You know, at least it has that going for it. Do you believe that statement? Are you confident in that statement? Um, well... May we present this next piece of evidence to the court? Wouldn't it be great if kids had a place where they could solve their problems without adults butting in with their solutions? Go to your room! No kids there! You're grounded! Nickelodeon's got that place. Introducing Kids Court, where kids solve their own problems. I just couldn't live with that guilt. Where no adults tell you what to do. It's none of your business. Where no one ever gets grounded. I didn't do it. Kids Court, where kids are the judge and jury. The only court for you from the only network for you. Starts today on Nickelodeon. What was played before the court was a clip from the Nickelodeon 1988 television series Kids Court, which, much like the premise of Gakuhote, is a series about kids arbitrating their disputes in a courtroom setting. Oh, you got me. You got me, Judge. The premise isn't that unique. It has been done before. Oh, man, I'll have to be real. I'll own up, Judge. I'm so sorry for lying. Or I'm so sorry for trying to feign ignorance and trying to pretend I wasn't a fan of the series back then. Yes, you know, I was a teenager. I was literally still a teenager. But, you know, that's no excuse. But we all grow and change, as I'm sure other people have shared similar sentiments before, maybe on this podcast, even though I have not heard the beginning as I wasn't here then. But, you know, I, I did really enjoy it back then. I thought it was really fun. I liked the art. I liked the character designs. I, I liked the general bombast of it. And I don't know how I was blind to a lot of the problematic elements. Like, in revisiting it, I was seriously creeped out and grossed out. Even though I did buy those volumes, I didn't actually read them because, you know, I had already read the series. I read the first volume, but I didn't really read the second or third. So I was blindsided when I saw those authors' comments. And I was like, what the hell? is this author going on about <laughs> with their boo pyramid hierarchies and their gross obsession oh, with the bodies of these teenage girls why are there so many bat scenes so many scenes of children being naked why are they so fixated so grossly on sexualizing children it's just really made me uncomfortable it really grossed me out 
And so I don't, in reading the series weekly, it was probably easier to ignore the zones because I feel like back when I was reading it, like the other people who were reading it alongside me, you know, we all generally had like a positive impression of it just because it was kind of unique in the landscape of other series being published, which were, it was a very battle shown in heavy times. So having kind of a non-traditional type battle manga, you know, that was more about kind of the psychological warfare of these courtroom battles that really did stand out. And what really made it a lot of fun to follow and keep up with, especially was also being a part of the WMR, the Weekly Manga Recap Community. And on their show, they would do these great bits when they covered Gakuhote, where during the cases, they would play Phoenix Wright music, they would act out the courtroom <laughs> cases, and those were a lot of fun to listen to. And it just made the process of reading the series very endearing to also have that element of like, you know, Weekly Manga Recap Pack is also having their great commentary, like really bringing to life in that way. I still recommend folks go listen to those recaps of the series on there with, with the courtroom chapters, especially because they're all of fun with the phoenix ride music and just adding that extra little bombast to it but yeah no i mean just in the general writing wise unfortunately in revisiting the series yeah it did not hold up terribly even in just like general core cases to me uh i'm sure as has been acknowledged with the author's comments even of just acknowledging man ayama is a beast a monster for being able to come up with so many interesting mysteries yeah a lot of the mysteries here in gakuhote uh, really strain credulity and it really feels like the author is struggling to come up with plausible explanations for why things happened or oftentimes they're trying to make a situation seem more smartly thought out or clever than it is and it's oftentimes very clear that the author themselves is not often that aware of like the best direction to take the story or like they made a mistake with the type of fish they were originally going to use in the very first case in a way that wouldn't have made their mystery work. They had several instances where like it was clear like they had a story direction they were going to take but the editor very thankfully probably reined them in like in the case with another very creepy case is the girl getting photo shoots because of a camera in her locker and in the aftermath it's like he was saying like the, the actual perp who did that they were gonna have that character like be like a creepy like yander a soccer person rather than like kind of someone who's like just like vistful and jealous and so that <laughs> was a very good decision by the editor to not go in that direction to make Eve oh, already creepy premise even creepier but yeah so in revisiting the series uh, is one where I had to really buck up against, you know, uh, opinion, a series I had a more positive impression on back in the past. And it feels like not too recent past, but I guess seven years is a fairly long time of where when I was reading it, you know, I really enjoyed it. In my memory, I thought, oh, Gaki Hote, that was a fun series. But in reading it, wow, this is, was a very uncomfortable read, a very disappointing read, and perhaps one of the worst, or at least one of my least favorite things uh, to reread and revisit on the show this is genuinely kind of like when um we covered another takashi obata series on the show with bakuman yeah it's exactly like bakuman and just like bakuman uh if it may please the court to, for me to go on i will allow it okay thanks if it, so you know just like <laughs> bakuman it has a real problem uh with women not just in the sexualization but it, it, it's very clear the author has a lot of 
weird gender biases and essentialist ideas that border on misogyny at times. Like in the first couple of cases, it becomes very apparent that it's a lot of the cases boil down to like a boys versus girl type scenario. And uh, the girl, a girl is always at fault and is made to look much less capable or intelligent in their arguments than the male plaintiffs and Mbaku as the attorney. So it's, I mean, especially like the very introduction is like a Baku, you know, he rompas his teacher into just stunned silent, like completely undermining her. Pine, the main prosecutor, is like completely inconsistently undermined and made a fool of uh, in terms of like not having enough evidence and being blindsided by, you know, the arguments and evidence that a Baku brings in. And yeah, for a lot of the early cases, it boils down to like a men versus women type of thing. And the out there has some weird ideas about like I don't know how girls should be and how in comparison how boys should be and then how girls could be seen in comparison to boys. And then it was also kind of hinted at at like an author's comment about like, oh, he had an idea about Abaku reverting to like kind of his former wimpy self and it would happen on Girls' Day. And why Girls' Day? And as we kind of brought up in our Discord chat, well, the association here is like, oh, girls are so emotional. They're so prone to being misled by emotions and not being able to think rationally or whatever. And that feels like it's a consistent thread in the series is how girls are generally portrayed as always in the wrong and, and oftentimes in need of rescuing or protection from the male characters. Like even in a case that I, in some aspects, I still really, I thought it had some strong points going for it, which is like the artist plagiarism case. Like it's so kind of weird that like these two boys basically had to come to the rescue of their like adult female teacher. And it's like, mm, why is this a consistent thread of like women consist of being undermined in some way in the series? One moment that could have stood out to me was um, right before the very last case of the series where Inugami and uh, and Pine are like talking together and Pine and Inugami basically have like a Luffy and Nami moment from Arlong Park where like Pine has to be like, please help me Inugami. It's all up to you to prove the truth about this case uh, because I care about justice for my friend or whatever. And it's like, she could have been even more proactive, I think. I mean, she, she could break down and cry helplessly, especially because we just had, the storyline just before that was about Pine trying to be more honest about what she feels and stand up for herself, or at least the conclusion was meant to lead that way. And I, another criticism I had about that moment was like, Pine should have been more proactive in the resolution of that case rather than like, Abaku proves her dad wrong and then that makes him hear pine out but it's like it's consistently like women are shown to not be able to do anything on their own and men have to do things for them or help them because they can't accomplish things by themselves and that's really gross under current trend why is takashi obata always like partner with writers who are like weirdly sexist and traditionalists <laughs> always partner with misogynists yeah i don't know between oba and this guy like i mean shoha shonen hasn't so no, far shoha had shonen those has been pretty good with characterization presentation of female characters and obviously hikaru nago doesn't have like the same show as hikaru nago just has the issue of not having many female characters very much in it but you know it's not like outright sexist or misogynist yeah i mean it's still the series has a you know it took death note a little bit to start having some pretty terrible female characters in it so we'll see i mean ho hopefully i mean it's different writer and hopefully this writer is not gonna go uh, over direction
I am hopeful that Shoha Show 10 will be like a better version of what Bakuman should have been, honestly. Yeah, and a better version of what Gakuhote is in terms of like a non-traditional competition battle manga that it plays into the psychology of its characters and presentation of like their profession and what they're doing. Yeah, have you guys been reading Akane Bashi? I think if I said Akane Bashi, super good. I love it. I, I was gonna say your uh, your uh, what your skit you just did <laughs> felt very Akane Bashi inspired. <laughs> what? Excuse me. The court must ask the plaintiff to clarify what they mean. This is not a skit. This is court. Please respect the court. So, sorry, sorry, Your Honor. My apologies. The court duly notes your apology, and we will return to the open forum discussion. You know, actually talking about Pine, you know, it, it just kind of hit me, and maybe I had this thought while I was rereading the series, but like for a character that's introduced as like Inugami's rival, or like his supposed rival, it is kind of weird that like Inoki introduces Sarutobi, the little like lawyer ninja, which I can't believe I said that out loud. Um, It is kind of weird that like, she's kind of pushed to the side and Sartobi is kind of his rival. It, I don't know that. It doesn't help that when Sartobi is introduced, there really isn't another situation in which Pine has the opportunity to play the prosecutor really. again. Because when Sartobi is introduced, that becomes like a civil case between two attorneys. So Pine really has no involvement. And then her dad takes over in the next case with the spirit five minutes deep or whatever. And then the final case, we have basically uh, Von Karma Light in the third person, Kijima, who takes over as prosecutor. So, you know. Kijima's also a weird character because it's like, she's meant to be part of this, like, this group of legendary, like, children lawyers or whatever. And she's just a bondage character, even though she's, like, probably 11, 12 years old. Yeah, not a creep. Not our weird, creepy sexualization of like having this 12 year old kid be in a bondage outfit and that's her gimmick. God, yeah, they were. I don't understand why they were 12. If, she, if they were 18, it would have been weird, but at least it wouldn't have been borderline. Well, yeah, like. like I honestly like sometimes think about talking to my friend who works at Viz and being like, you guys should probably like just take this off the Viz app. I am so surprised <laughs> that this was published in print by this like they went through the effort of publishing in print like i can understand at the time when they picked this up why they did because it's a takashi obata drawn series takashi obata dead note is still a evergreen seller and so just having that association of course would draw interest so it was pretty clearly going to be picked out of that round i don't think i was any question that would be picked as a jump start that would continue on uh, in the English Shung Jump. And it's just surprising, though, with, after seeing, you know, the content of the manga as it ran. And admittedly, back then, myself and a lot of other people reading it weren't, like, I guess, scrutinizing it as closely either. But, like, it, there were a lot of red flags looking For back. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot. And especially in getting the material for the volumes, when you read Inoki's author's comments where he's like outright being proud of petitioning Obata to redesign a character to have oh larger boobs. 
a 12 year Kevin Guy larger boobs. Yeah, that was real fucked up. He proudly chose the drafts of a swimsuit scene in the pool chapter that was originally going to be three pages long and proudly shows these draft pages, which is just full of the male characters gawking and making creepy comments about the appearances of these girls in swimsuits and their bodies. It is so, I am so surprised that they, upon seeing this, I mean, maybe once they committed to it, they had to do it. But I am just so surprised that they went through the effort of publishing this in print. This is the second, only the second short-lived Shonen Jump manga after Barrage to get that treatment. This of all series. And it really is because Abada's name is attached to it. I mean, the covers of this manga, of the English editions of the manga, have on the cover the text from the creator of Death Note very prominently baked into yep. the cover design. You know, they they really wanted to sell it on the Death Note Association, on the Association with Obata. But like, man, this is one I would have thought they would just have left behind, especially with how squeamish they are about sexual content. To say nothing about content sexualizing minors. I mean, there's a reason I think they're not publishing Ayakashi Triangle anymore. It's so surprising that this got published. It's so surprising that even as recently as last year, you know, I have subscribed to like the Viz blog mailing list or whatever. And so they'll oftentimes they'll like send you emails by lighting a series in their vault and stuff. And it was just last summer I was looking back. They sent one saying, oh, here's this week's spotlight. Gakyu Hoke, School of Judgment. And I'm like, you would think this is a series you would want to bury in your yeah. uh, vault. I mean, I understand offering content, but it's a series. I'm surprised this is a series you're still comfortable with promoting after going through the effort of translating these authors comment pages and like you know all the really suspect uncomfortable comments the author uncritically seemingly proudly just wrote into them could you imagine like being a fan of death note not reading anything else that takashi obata is involved in and like picking this up because it says on the cover from the creators of death note like, I would love to see the reaction to someone who's just read Death Note. <laughs> yeah, I would too. I would be so surprised and so appalled on the behalf of these people who did pick up the series just because prominently featured on the cover is from the creator of Death Note. And it's like, mm, mm-hmm. very misleading. I mean, I feel like we could go on all day about all the really gross shit that's in this series. But I mean, like, are there any positives that we want to bring up? Because personally... Even though I didn't really enjoy, like, every case in this series, and I didn't think all of them were, like, winners, I will say I do think the series starts off really strongly, and I especially love how the first chapter kind of ends on a cliffhanger, specifically in a way that kind of engages with the reader, because you have that bit where, like, Inugami is like, okay, so this is what's going on, and hey, you'll have to read next week, like... I do like the way that this manga, again, despite some of its content, you know, trying to be a manga for kids, I guess, which makes it even weirder. But I do like the idea of a manga in a kid's magazine being the kind of manga that actually kind of engages with younger readers like that. I don't know. I I just I think that actually made it more exciting for me to read, at least at the start anyway. I appreciated that. They were trying to have a dialogue with the reader. Like they were trying to get the reader in on the mystery and have them feel like they're having an interactive relationship with the series and like directly speaking to the reader and saying, hey, kid, can you figure out this mystery? Here are some clues. Talk with it with your friends on the schoolyard and then. Yeah, I think that was an element that was definitely really fun and something you rarely see in Shonen Jump is such blatant fourth wall breaking. Absolutely. And yeah, I think that was a nice attempt to do that uh, and to try and really reach out to 
the young audience and like say, hey, you know, here's a way to encourage conversation. Here's a way to like really foster like kind of uh, interactiveness between you as the reader and the series and really get you into that way. And I think that's a good thing to try. I think that's a a really fun thing to do for a kid's series. I mean, also, and I don't know what this says about the series, but honestly, like thinking back on it, other than like the Miracle Powder case, I feel like the series in terms of its mysteries peak around the Suzuki and Miracle Powder cases. I think those are like the two strongest cases. Everything else I wasn't really that into. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of the other cases uh, are either very convoluted in terms of, like, explosion. Like, I appreciated some of the, the attempt at heart at certain areas, but, like, the entire, like, you know, Da Vinci, Picasso, Van Gogh case with the plagiarism, the actual, like, justification for, like, why the two works were the same like both of them were collaborating with each other to blackmail Van Gogh so that eventually they could hold a civil case so that they could expose the truth about her being the ghost painter for her mentor and then that would get passed along into actual adult court. Somehow, (laughs) I guess, uh, rulings in the school judgment system can hold water and can be passed along to actual public court uh, for adults. So this is a lot of like really tin stretching of the premises and believability of like why characters are doing some things on how they would do it. Mm-hmm. I feel like the one time where we had this kind of Rue Goldbergian type of like a series of circumstances that made for a confusing case, but like kind of a somewhat satisfying resolution to in its explanation was actually the very last case. Okay involving Mm -hmm. what happened why Shiratori I believe is her name why she got knocked out in the rabbit hutch and like who did it because like I could sort of see like how the circumstances even though they're very like convoluted and a lot of them have to rely on like oh these things all just happen to happen in sequence to each other I could sort of see how it worked out I could sort of see like how you could piece together what really happened and then I think like the message at the end was like okay I can appreciate that like ultimately like people were trying very hard to find a scapegoat like they had a lot of mistrust in other people or in themselves you know and that's the whole thing about oh you know the ogre was in our hearts and whatever so I could appreciate (laughs) that it's very corny but I could appreciate that even though there's a lot of other stuff about that case especially the stuff with Kijima that I didn't like but like I could appreciate certain elements of that and that's kind of the complicated thing is that there's certain certain attempts at heart I can appreciate in the series but that's the overall plotting the actual execution the cases uh, are not very well thought out it's clear like the writer is just not actually that skilled in coming up with mysteries as they have admitted I guess the one trick actually, the one trick that actually did kind of seem clever to me was with the fish tank in the swimming pool mm-hmm with the optical illusion. Yeah, the optical illusion. That actually was actually rather clever. So actually, that actually might actually be the most well-thought-out case in terms I of... I just wish it didn't recycle the fish all <laughs> from the first case. Yeah, that's the thing, though. It's like, already 14 chapters in, you're returning to a similar idea. Of like, oh, this fish was hidden out in the swimming pool, just like in the first case. But it, was, it felt like... That actually felt pretty Conan-y in terms of, like, the explanation. Especially because there are Conan cases that involve, like, optical illusion 
conclusions like a case like oh how did this guy get poisoned from this piece of cake that everyone ate like how did the criminal know to make this person eat this piece of cake that was poisoned it's like oh it was an old an optical illusion because they knew they'd reach for the bigger piece and even though like all the pieces were cut the same because of perspective they thought this piece at the back was actually bigger than the rest and that's how they knew they would reach for it and stuff like that you know so that i could appreciate they actually thought of a clever implementation of like optical illusion in that case Actually, I think um, I mentioned it earlier, but I actually think the magical powder case, I, I think the way that one played out, I thought was um, it's kind of similar to the very last case with how everything just kind of happens to like fall into place. But I thought it was done the best there. I mean, first off, the premise of that is wild. And it is fun to just have the metaphor of like this candy powder. That was the thing I remember the kids. most from this series. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, one kid be an <laughs> addict and going to relapse and be really freaking out about it. And they have to go out of their way every once in a while to be like, guys, this this is not drugs. This is not what you think this is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but they showed a fucking syringe. <laughs> no, yeah, they showed, it, they showed him heating up the powder and inhaling it. Like, they went all in on the illusions, making the connections between this powder and actual drugs and drug usage. I do love the author's note specifically where Inoki was worried that they were gonna like get calls about that but they got a call specifically about the detail where it's like oh actually like female dogs do lift up their legs when they pee and it's like yeah my dog actually <laughs> used to do that she would tap her foot yeah, for some reason that's another example of the author not realizing oh this actually doesn't work their line of logic they made an assumption that actually isn't true just like with the fish in the first case I have to imagine, even with them coming out and being like, no, this isn't drugs, actually, I I have to imagine they got calls about that. There's no way they didn't get at least one. I mean, I hope they got calls about just the horrible choice to include a method of, like, placing a hidden camera in someone's locker room. Like, what were they thinking when they wrote and drew and published that? They go step by step. <laughs> that, they, sh they, they basically... Describe to you how to do it. It's like a DIY for kids of like, hey, here's how you can place a hidden camera in your friend's locker room. It's like, what are you doing? Because this is a very creepily unfortunate actual thing that happens. And so it's like, why would you teach people to do that? You're putting kids in danger. If they didn't get calls about that, I'd be surprised because, like, it's kind of weird because, like, um, and I'm, I'm going to bring up Skep Dance because, of course, I am. I'm pretty sure there was a chapter of Skep Dance where, like, Bossoon, like, took helium or something. And I guess they got complaints about that and Shinohara had to apologize over that. And when I hear stuff like that, it's like, why are you going after Shinohara? You should be going after Gakuhote because there's so much you could go after Gakuhote for. Yeah. It's so stupid. But yeah, the, the magical powder case is the case that like I remember the most is the one that like when I got to it, I was like, oh, my God, I remember this shit. This shit was wild. <laughs> and I can't believe they got away with that specifically. And I so I, I will say that even though I think that's my favorite case in terms of like how things play out. And I don't know if it's like a retrospective thing. But, like, I don't like the thing they do specifically where it's, like, they, they have, like, three particular characters and you're supposed to guess, like, oh, which one is the masked dude? And it's, like, it's so obvious who it is. Like, it's obviously going to be the guy who, like, has a cold or whatever because he's the guy that's most likely to, like, wear, a, like, a face mask over his, like, luchador mask or whatever. 
Yeah, I mean, it's very... All the actual criminals are very obvious Yeah, in every case, really. Like, it's never a big question of, like, who the actual perp is. Yeah, I mean, again, I like the way that played out where it was, like, I, I think the masked dude, like, he, he wore a mask because, like, he has, like, a dog allergy, and that's why he was sneezing. Uh, and then it turns out that, like, Shiratori's dog was in, like, the storehouse, and, like, that's how he got, like, his magical power stolen, and, like, the dog was moving stuff around, and that's why, like, that one kid, like, thought there was, like, a poltergeist. Like, again, it's very much like that last case where things kind of fall in together and, like, influence each other, but I, I thought, like, when that happened the first time in that case, that actually seemed kind of clever, but again, and I, I think you are right in that with the fish tank case and that very last case with Shiratori in like the animal pen and everything it like now that you brought it up I could see that like oh yeah Inoki in particular was really like revisiting the well and reusing certain elements from other cases already like I, I think there's even like in, I sent this in the discord chat but uh even in the afterword of volume two like he fully admits like oh yeah it was around that point where like I was really struggling and I was and I'm just like yeah I can kind of tell <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you can really tell. Because the thing about this series is that, like, the reason I want I read this week to week initially was because I really liked the idea of, like, Lum was mentioning earlier, like, the idea of, like, these kids kind of taking the law into their own hands and, like, having these cases over, like, these sort of, like, childish things and, like, kind of taking those as seriously as possible, kind of. And I don't know, just something about that. I, I think there's something you could do with that. And I think there's room for creativity in that. But like, it's really easy to see that like this series, I don't think could have lasted as long as it did. Honestly, I don't think it could have gone any longer than three volumes, unfortunately. Yeah. I still think the concept has a lot of potential. The basic idea of the characters and the underlying story had potential. But unfortunately, this writer was not up to the task of fleshing it no. out properly and in being able to sustainably come up with credibly interesting cases. Mm -hmm. I mean, David, is there anything else in particular you like about the series that we haven't brought up yet? I mean, I think the art, for the most part, is quite competent. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I Which think, makes sense, yeah. I think generally Obata's character designs, besides the creepy ones, uh, are very strong and memorable. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think that Obata's a great master of paneling and making, like, interesting reaction faces, uh, exaggerated art. Like, when the teacher, like, kind of breaks her mask in the first chapter and, like, freaks out about, like, her real intent, you know, that's an effective moment to, like, just, like, really going crazy with, like, an expressive with presenting a character. And that makes it fun to read, like, moments like that, which are, like, extremely expressive and cartoony and there are a lot of very dynamic paneling that can make like what is ultimately a series that is very text dense and very much about like kind of just telling you a bunch of details and just talking endlessly about like oh well here's the case and circumstances and we're just gonna talk you know through it all you know it does a very good job of presenting that in a dynamic way just through the strength of like the the art accompanying all the, this very you know text heavy word balloons Mm -hmm. I mean, in general, yeah, I, I do agree. I, I think the art is like the best part of the series, like by far, because oh, yeah. obviously, mm -hmm. though, it does get worse over time. Yeah, I was actually going to say because Lum brought up uh, how expressive a lot of the characters facial expressions are in the beginning of the series. But I feel like that's kind of lost over time. Like it's not as expressive, mm -hmm. like the further it goes on, because I, I, I literally was like looking back at the beginning after I finished. and I was like, oh, yeah, the art isn't like as good as it go I mean, it's still competent, like David said, but like it's not as interesting the further it goes on which is kind of weird 
And I do wonder if that's because of the particular way that Obata had to draw the series during the civilization is that Anoki would present him, and this is Anoki's own words, he presented him with like the entire case all at once, like from beginning to end in his storyboard. And so Obata would get that all at once and then just go to work and like trying to adapt that into the proper final version of the manga. And so I wonder, you know, what having to draw like that quantity of pages, if that ultimately did end up being a strain, you know, on how long the series went on, especially when it came to like longer cases. I don't think there's any point where like the series looks like bad or anything. But yeah, I do see that like Obata doesn't get quite as loose. He starts to stiffen up in like his presentation of characters and their reactions as it goes on. I do enjoy that this is another Obata series kind of in the vein of Bakuman, where he is allowed to go more cartoony and expressive in places. Yeah, you mm-hmm. see that also now in Showa Shoten as well, which is nice. I like the cartoony style of Obata. I like the really expressive style he has more than I do like kind of the more serious. Like he can pull off both aesthetics, but it's like a lot of fun to just see him like really play into cartoony or, or like over the top gestures and facial expressions and really have fun with how he portrays the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. I mean, is there anything else you guys want to bring up in particular maybe before we start talking about like how the series ends? Uh, no, I'm good. The court moves, we move on to discussing the conclusion of the series and the overarching plot line. Yeah, spoilers if you care, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> just, just putting that out there. But um, yeah, I mean, how did you guys feel about how the whole like bloody classroom session plot line resolved? Like, h- how do you feel about how that mystery in particular resolved? I think it was dumb. <laughs> and obviously the author just ran out of time and he just kind of shotgun finishing the plot in like the five chapters because one chapter is like the end. And then it's like he just rushes everything he had set up. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he did underestimate how much space he had to finish the story within the Shonen Jump stimulation, which is why it had the epilogue chapter published in Jump Plus like a month after the series ended in the main magazine. I do think that I understand what he was going for. I appreciate the sentiment that ultimately the message of the series was to let go of the hatred of oneself and hatred for other people. And it was going to be a story about like kind of being able to recover from trauma, to make peace with it, to heal and move on, to be able to form new friendships and relationships of trust again. I can get and respect the intent of that. Obviously, the problem, though, was that the series did end abruptly, like the way that Kijima obviously you know it was going to be a longer turning the author even like kind of hints at it like he includes a note where Tento is saying oh you know there's gonna go on much longer I was going to consistently masquerade as the red ogre and drop hints about what happened actually at the bloody classroom session it's gonna not be a long time and then it would lead you to the conclusion yourself and then making peace with the situation yourself so I wonder you know if it had been able to tell the full extent of that how that would have gone on probably would have come out a lot cleaner but like obviously the way it had to happen was very abrupt and not 
terribly satisfying, but I can appreciate the sentiment behind it, even though the very premise of it is like extremely dark in a way that I don't know you can really bounce from that with like a totally happy ending. And I did find it very weird that the teacher who murdered all her students, we have like this flashback to the past and like the last two pages of the manga where we see a scene of her like smiling at the four surviving students. It was like, okay, so that's a flashback to her like oh, being happy about her students. And then the safe teacher apparently some point later, you know, she killed all her students. So it's like, I get the idea is to like present this idea of like, oh, here's some like emotional closure for these characters. And here's like a flashback to show, hey, these friends are now be able to be friends again. And that's a nice thing. But it's like, yeah, it's, it weighs in a lot of dark territory. Obviously, what happens to these kids and being, like, blamed for the murder of their classmates and taken away to, like, this prison elementary school... Which, as they talk about, you know, it wasn't as bad as we were initially led to believe in terms of, like, well, they were able to see their family, and it wasn't actually, you know, that a cruel a treatment. But, like, we still see them in, like, jail cells and wearing, like, prison uniforms. <laughs> I don't know, but it's just, like, there are a lot of things that don't quite gel with, like, the intent and the actual execution depiction of things, and uh, how these kids are actually treated. Like, I understand, like, the rationale behind putting the kids in this program and trying to have this convoluted plan of having them find closure with the situation the way that they, they planned it out with this Operation Ogre thing was done initially like having this in Joshima so that you know because if they went to other schools they would be like the subject of like scorn or like isolation because of being involved in this traumatic event thing so this was a way to like you know get them away from that and help them build up new characters can recover from the trauma in that way before they're able to work it out more long term with this other plan but you know it's again it's a lot of really cruel things being forced upon these kids a lot of adults manipulating these kids rather than just being uh, direct in helping them or in communicating with them the truth of everything that's going on a lot of like you know manipulation and gaslighting on the part but they of were just giving kids. them a reason to live yeah it's you know you can say nice <laughs> sentiments like I wish that, I had that. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know if the actual methodology was as benign as the sentiment Oh, I see. I don't know how I feel about the ending as like the conclusion to like the mystery because like that's the whole like overarching narrative, you know, amongst all the like cases of the week kind of stuff where it's like, oh, Inugami is trying to find out like who murdered his entire classroom or whatever besides his other friends. Yeah, I mean, they needed to drop better hints about Tento. Like it was a joke even when the series was initially being serialized that Tento just seemed like such a dumb kid. <laughs> like even on, on WMR, they would make a character out of Tento of like having him talk like kind of an old timey like dimwit character from like a Looney Tunes cartoon, like saying "Da Tento, don't get that, boss." You know, <laughs> like make a character joke about that. You know, he okay, really doesn't seem like any more remarkable than just like a character for a Baku to like bounce off of. Uh, and, you know, have someone to just, like, listen to him give his arguments or talk to and learn more about him that way. So his actual character isn't that interestingly developed past the first case. 
Not really, no. He just seems kind of like the dumb sidekick of a Baku. So they really need to do a better job of dropping hints. That there's more cleverness to him. There's more of a secret to him than, you know, we are initially led to believe in a more organic way than just suddenly in the last case being, hmm, did you know that Tento also was a transfer student who has no background, no history? Why is that? That's suspicious. Oh, and he is the actual Red Gorker. We figure that out immediately because Kijima just has a revelation when everyone who was originally in the classroom that became the Blade costume is reunited in the the courtroom. So, you know, it's just not that satisfying. The thing about the ending for me is that, like, I would have been fine with the whole reveal of, like, oh, there's no actual Red Ogre and all of this was just, like, a setup, basically, in order to, again, give them a reason to live or whatever, but... I Actually, that would have been better if, like, there was no actual person to blame, and that was the message. We're the real monsters. (laughs) I mean, I guess that is true. That is true that there wasn't anyone actually who was still out there for them to blame. Like, the Red Ogre that they had in their minds was just, like, a figment. Like, someone to project all their, like, hatred onto and give them a reason to be motivated to learn law and to, you know, live on. But, yeah, I mean, the actual perpetrator, the teacher, was dead at that point. But yeah, that was really, really great. I mean, I just I really dislike the fact that the series just was like, let's just fit in a bunch of really stupid things to have an answer to this. Like, (laughs) do you guys think that he had it planned that the what is it? Ladybug guy was going to be like this or what? Yeah, he says in his author comment that the story was always going to be about these four characters. I think he did have it planned. Interesting. It basically ended the way he wanted it to. That's so sad. I'm sure that was also contingent on the fact that maybe he was expecting his series to run longer and maybe he would have time to like build this up better. Yeah, again, with that moment of like Tento outright saying, oh, like it was going to go on even longer. Me masquerading as the Red Ogre and dropping hints and all these different cases I created. It also has that weird convoluted element of like this classroom that they're all sent to was specifically designed. Right. All the students were specifically put there to be a bunch of weirdos <laughs> so that there would be a lot of cases. That's the reason they always had a rookie teacher is that so she couldn't handle the class. And so a lot more problems, a lot more cases would consistently pop up more than usual. It's very much reminds me of like the explanation for like Soma's class in Food Wars that comes oh, up later Oh, I was in the thinking manga. the same thing. Yeah. See, F- Food Wars had much more time than Gakuhote did, and even then I still wasn't like totally on board with that, so I don't know. Yeah, I heard that kind of fell apart. The last arc was not great in Food Wars. Not oh, great, no. Just always how it is. But I, I was going to say, I could forgive how the mystery resolved itself if, because, you know, like you said, Lum, I, I like the idea of everything happening the way it, it was meant to, to try to help these kids, like, get over the tragedy of what happened and try to, like, move on from that. I think that could have been really powerful if the series had, like, somehow tried to work that in kind of earlier ahead of time to kind of let the reader know, like, oh, this is possibly, like, where we're going to go. Because there's, there's really nothing like that anywhere pre-Volume 3. Like, that's not like an idea that's brought up any time before Volume 3 at all. And also show more examples of Abaku and Saratobi still being affected and haunted by their past. They generally carry themselves with a pretty upbeat demeanor for the most part. Like, Abaku does stay in the class because he mentions that, yeah, I'm staying here to kill someone, the Red Ogre or whatever. But, you know, we don't really see necessarily too many examples. We don't get too much more explanation, description of, like, how they're still, like, processing their trauma and their feelings, like, all this time later. Well, that's just not something that's really done in Shonen. It's something that can be done. Yeah. It has been done in some 
series. Not sorry, not done in bad shonen like this because this series sucked. Bad series, yes, yes. <laughs> bad writing and bad series. How crazy. The series that you guys cover, sure, I get that. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you guys can listen to our episode on Ghost Story where a girl got tied to a chair for three days and was completely unpsychologically affected. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that was the manga that Furudade, the Haikyuu artist, created before Haikyuu. That is so surprising. Yeah, he did every part of both series. Wow. I mean, it shows you can grow as a writer uh, over time, for sure. <laughs> Holy shit, yeah. Yeah. I don't even think I'm like 100 chapters in the Haikyuu, and man, I, I, I'd, be, I'd be inclined to agree. Um, yeah, but I don't know. I That's the thing that disappoints me most about the series is I, I do like that idea because I, I really wanted to like feel something at the end because I, I can see what Inoki was going for. Like, uh, like not only are they graduating from elementary school, but they're graduating from their trauma. And, you know, that's kind of cheesy and I get it. Like, I, I think characters in the story even comment on like how saccharine some of the emotional moments are. And I'm glad they said it because I, I kind of thought the same thing. Like before we got to the actual last chapter and, you know, uh, Inugami, makes that speech about how the red ogre is inside all of us because we're all warped in like in our negativity or whatever he said like th- that was around the point was like okay like i get what you're trying to go for but this doesn't feel earned and most things make me cry like i'm a big cry baby but like even i was just kind of like this is sappy as shit what is this <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just couldn't take it seriously unfortunately but um yeah i don't know i just i could see what they were going for at the very end but like i said i think we needed just a bit more foreshadowing to this conclusion and i don't know i i just i just think if you were going to go for something like that you needed to like you needed to foreshadow that at least a little bit more ahead of time because there, there, there's no indication before volume three that like this series is going to delve into anything more emotionally nuanced than it already is yeah. you know like I, I just wasn't prepared for that or at least the situation requires yeah like gakuhote is not the kind of series that like i ever really took very seriously is the thing and which is unfortunate because like no i mean it's about silly circumstances so it is something that you're supposed to have fun with for the most yeah. part but then it's at odds then with this backstory that is extremely heavy yeah. and a conclusion that is supposed to be about the reconciliation of these kids' traumas. So it's at odds with itself and what it wants to do and how the actual structure of the series is meant to play out. Mm-hmm. I think David and Jordan even brought this up in their TV episode a little bit, but the, you know, the series is not only at odds with itself, you know, in terms of like how serious it wants to be towards the end compared to how it was earlier, but also in the sense of like, you know, it's also kind of weird to have this series about like kids having like their own classroom trials about like, uh, I don't know, uh, who who left this love letter or like who did this like silly kid thing or whatever and also teaming that up with like oh actually these kid lawyers have like a dark past where like their entire classroom was murdered like these things just don't really mesh together tonally this entire series like really clashes with itself and i think that's part of the reason why i as much as i really wanted to get into it i I just couldn't yeah i think ultimately i came away from rereading the series like, ultimately, I can appreciate the intent and I can appreciate what it's going for and a lot of different aspects of it. But the execution just doesn't land because it is 
unsure of how it wants to carry itself and it does not have really the ability to consistently come up with very satisfying mysteries and stories in a way that fits the premise without immediately like straining it in the believability and that's especially evident with the later cases that have to break the rules of like what the classroom sessions are with like Sarutobi breaking the law to gather all the evidence he uses in his case with a teacher coming in and citing some arbitrary role that oh no uh, not a teacher with Pine's dad coming in saying oh no like but adults can interfere and be prosecutors uh, in these cases too and it's like well that kind of goes against the idea that this is a courtroom by the kids for the kids but okay and then of course like moving that to like this final case where it's like a big council of kid prosecutors and stuff that is an organization that is like investigating and trying cases and it's like they don't it doesn't have a lot of consistency to itself for an understanding of, of itself and confidence in its concept almost. I mean, the most confidence-breaking moment, I think, the series had in its premise was when Abaku and Sarutobi suddenly have just, like, these super weapons. Like, Abaku has, like, this... <laughs> yeah, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> And when it turns into a laptop. Yeah, that just blasts through a fence uh, and the side of the shed. And it's like, well, now this is going into superpowers territory, superpowers <laughs> weapon territory. Why would lawyers need these things? And also, there's such a strange moment because just before you were telling uh, the cop kid, hey, don't break the lock. That would be evidence tampering. But then you break down the fence and the wall? Like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah, it's it's just stupid. He, he got you by the way who I kind of think is like the secret best character like personally I get a lot of comedy from like how seriously he takes everything especially with that moment right before Sarutobi's big introduction where like Sarutobi's like running through the hallways and he clashes with Higashide and they have that little fight and Higashide so seriously tells him like hey no running in the hall like it like it's a fucking action movie or something I think that was the that was the moment that made me laugh the most but also he just has a fucking like taser disguised as a recorder his backpack can transform into like a harness like something that can entrap Pento oh that was some of the wildest shit see I kind of wish the series went into like more wild stuff like that honestly (laughs) but man I don't know I I, I feel like I'm trying to think I mean I think we're kind of winding down at this point yeah I guess to build off on that I will say that ultimately while the series could not execute itself uh, properly in a long term. I do think that one thing I did appreciate about it as it was continuing on was that we got more of a sense of the stable of characters in this classroom that would be reappearing again and again as just participants like in the courtroom, like just in the audience observing the case and making commentary. And that even times that there would be like kind of repeat characters involved in cases, like one of the suspects in the power case who is not the actual culprit ends up being the culprit in the swimming pool case so i appreciated what it was going for that way and like kind of gradually building up this cast of characters and kind of the community of this classroom at the end of the pool case where we're having the moment where the like super erratic kid is like being forgiven by all the classmates who are like all saying hey you know we totally understand you and then like all the previous criminals in in the previous cases are like saying hey you know welcome to the club you know i kind of like that vibe of what it was going for it's like oh hey we're building up kind of this community of friends and characters in this classroom which is 
is tying into like the message of like what was ultimately supposed to be the thing of like oh like the entire intent was just to build like kind of this environment that would be like kind of a friend group for Abaku and the other victims of the Blade Crash to get accumulated to and like help them kind of move on by forming new relationships and like kind of being able to have like a new classroom and like a new community home for themselves again so yeah I think that's a really good insight and I think the fact that it would have been great to have rotating more rotation where the victim in one is a witness in another or the culprit in another and we just I mean you only see there's what three cases so it didn't even have time to do that but again the author struggled with three cases so like why even make this series like he should have had 10 case ideas ready before the first chapter came out yeah you think he'd have done a lot more planning of potential story ideas that he wouldn't be struggling so much especially with his editor apparently being a big mystery fan as he says so Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that is really weird um yeah, but I, I think this is probably the best time to start winding down if we have any, like, final thoughts. All right, the court will hear closing arguments. Yeah, just, I mean, this series was not very well written, has good art, and sexualizes kids in a way that you really can't overlook when you try and read the no, series. No, not at all. Mm, yeah. I guess, he- here's a better question. Would we recommend this to anyone? No. <laughs> I can't. That's fair. Not yes. With these, not with like the author's comments casting such a really gross shadow over the entire thing. Like it'd be one thing, you know, just like when the original serialization was going, it would be one thing if you just had the chapters and you had these sus moments, but you might be able to give the author a benefit of the doubt. But then as it goes on, it just gets worse and worse. The swimsuit. We, I mean, we didn't even talk about the fact this character saw Satoyan is a girl who has like a cow print bikini. And her jugs are huge. Uh, and like they draw attention to it because they have like sound effects like jiggle, jigger, boing, boing when she pops up in some panels. And it's like, that's so creepy. So gross. Pine's dad like spying on her to like try to get evidence or whatever for that case. Like it just looks like a literal 42 year old man spying on this young yeah, girl. Yeah, super it was super weird. It's so bad. <laughs> I hate it. Yeah. I mean the <sighs> series already in itself you know has a lot of really uncomfortable sexual exploitation of underage female characters. But then when you have the author's comments where he is like very proud of this aspect of the series and the fact that he got away with these things in the series that just really sours me on the author makes me very disgusted with him and really embarrassed to have ever liked the series back in the day Mm -hmm. uh, because like man this is stuff that really should not be published should have not been published on jump i'm so surprised i mean i'm not surprised they got through the cracks of jump editorial considering their consistent problems with sexism in that environment yeah uh, and the content that has stripped through the cracks at jump before even recently with ayakashi triangle even so you know but with the history jump has had with like actual sex criminals preying on children uh it's just it has an even more uncomfortable lens that this kind of manga could get published through there a manga that is published in the magazine for children uh so it's very unfortunate that these elements are in the series because otherwise it wouldn't still be a good series overall in terms of like being like well plotted but it's worst thing would be mediocre and i could probably if if these elements weren't there i could say well if you like certain things stylistically you might get a kick out of it but because of these gross sexual elements it's i can't recommend this series to anyone i wouldn't 
there's just no audience I could see that I'd be feel comfortable giving it to because of how really, really uh, uncomfortable and gross it can be about this stuff at times. Yeah, I I don't think I would ever recommend this to anyone either. I mean, if someone came up to me and was like, hey, I heard about this thing, what do you think of it? I would definitely give them caveats and at least let them know like, hey, this is what you're getting into. Yeah, serious content warnings. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, if you're listening to this and you haven't read this series and you still want to read it despite all of this really terrible shit that's in it, I mean, you do you. If you want to read it, go ahead. But just just know what you're getting into. Um, God, I mean, obviously, out of every out of every canceled Shonen Jump series we've covered on this show, um, I, I definitely wouldn't put this in the top tier with stuff like Cross Manage, Stealth Symphony, or Omagadoki Zoo, or at least that's my personal ranking. But yeah, those are those are the ones you guys like. Cross Manage was great. Cross, Cross Manage, Manage is good. Is yes, at the top, you you liked Ozu and Stealth Symphony. I, I like both of them. Yes, I'm sorry. Jane. Interesting. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Stealth Symphony just <laughs> that ending. It's it's a better ending than this though. I mean, there's a lot of things better than this. <laughs> I mean that. I mean that, that's fair. Out of curiosity though, have you guys covered some of the series that we like, like um, Mora King, Time Paradox Ghost Rider, Cop and Dolphin? We haven't covered those yet. Yeah, I, I've read all of those, and I, we haven't dedicated episodes to them at uh, the show yet. But yeah, I I'm have positive. Uh, feelings about all of those time paradox ghost rider have more mixed feelings but ultimately i appreciate uh, how it ended and what i was going yeah for. that's fair i'm just saying those three series are like my personal top three and then i Interesting. guess i guess gakuhote for me would belong in that bottom tier along with stuff we covered yes, like, for sure like uh takamakahara and barrage for me personally mm-hmm. yeah barrage was not great <laughs> Of the series we covered, I mean, Cross Manage is like the only one that I really, really liked. Um, but uh, yeah, on the scale of everything, Gakuhote is at the bottom. In fact, as far as just series we've covered on the show, Gakuhote, just by virtue of like the stuff that really made me just so disgusted and comfortable, is at the very bottom. I think of things we covered, like I think it's it's worse than Bakuman. There is problems with sexism and misogyny in Bakuman for sure, <laughs> uh, but it doesn't have like gross like sexualization of underage girls yeah so i can at least i'm not like grossed out at it i'm just like angry at it have you guys read build king by the way no, no. I, oh okay because that's probably the worst thing we've ever read on shonen flaw we've made it a point to not cover anything from shima bukuro good yeah i just have not heard anything good about it <laughs> yeah you know we we have our own complicated feelings about shima bukuro's previous work because have, have well it's also he is running. also a legitimate pedophile yeah i yeah. know that's the thing is that in the light of you know watsky and then everything followed of that and i mean as we uh, evaluate shima brokura and we're just not comfortable reading or very good supporting or following his work anymore yeah very good we will never do a build king episode y- you guys took care of that for us <laughs> yeah thank you for doing the public service of covering that series so we don't have to oh god it i i think i said it on the show like we we shouted out that episode when you guys released it but i oh thanks i think that is that is like your guys's best episode it's like it was just so cathartic hearing you guys just like shit all over it it kind of felt great yeah (laughs) it was our favorite episode of the year for a for a good reason Mm -hmm. that was so good well deserved Again, David, I apologize profusely for making you read all of Gakuhote to come on the show. It's fine. It's fine. I had to at some point. I promise when we have both you and uh, Jordan on, we'll we'll cover something better. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Sounds good.
Um, but yeah, I think um, I think that's about the end of our discussion. David, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me on. And I guess um, before we head out into the rest of our show on our own here, um, you want to just let the good people know where they could find you? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me at Shonen Flop. So as we talked about on the show, I and my co-host Jordan are the masters of covering canceled manga. We've read a lot of good stuff, a lot of bad stuff, a lot of stuff from some famous authors, including Iraqi, the creator of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, the writers for Naruto, Black Clover, My Hero Academia, as we talked about both Barrage and Ozu. And you can find us every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, or, you know, just in Monday in general. And we are Shonen Flop, that's S-H-O-N-E-N-F-L-O-P, and you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, or wherever else you get your podcast. and we'd really appreciate if y'all come check us out and maybe uh, drop a comment in the Discord where we got a lot of fun stuff going on there, too. Mm-hmm, for sure. I mean, look, you know, for listeners of our podcast specifically, you know, we only have so much time to dedicate to covering, like, other canceled jump manga in particular. Like, it's something we love doing, but it's something we only have so much time to dedicate to every year when we're like planning out our stuff so you know if you if you've always wanted to hear us cover more of that kind of stuff um just go listen to shonen flop for now you know uh, oh, you, you guys are nice you say you you guys are really like filling a niche that i wish we could fill more often so i really appreciate what you guys do <laughs> yeah and then uh by the way when does this episode come out um it's probably gonna be a few months <laughs> a few months oh goodness yeah we're, we're recording this way ahead of time <laughs> no worries and i won't mention anything coming up then <laughs> Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure when this episode comes out, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely shout you guys out in whatever you're doing. For sure. Community shout outs. Speaking of which, um, Lum, I think we should get to those. Order in the court. It is not up to the plaintiff to adjourn the court. It is up to the judge, I, the honorable judge mental. But yes, if we have heard all the evidence against the series Gakyohote, we will issue our ruling. We will now take a recess from the court. And when we resume, we will pass judgment on the series. I am Judgmental, thanking you all for joining us and reminding you, the listeners at home, if you have a complaint with a manga such as this one and can't seem to vent your frustration out, don't just complain about it online, make content out of it, or take it to court. Once again, big thanks to David from the Shonen Flop podcast for joining us for our discussion of Gakuhote. You know, despite Gakuhote not being very great, uh, to put it mildly, 
you know, it was still great having at least one half a Shonen flop on. Like we mentioned at the top of the show, one day we will have both David and Jordan on, uh, hopefully for a manga that they actually enjoy, to make up for uh, for them having to actually finish Gakuhote. But our, our suffering does not end here, actually, uh, believe it or not, because soon after you're listening to this episode, coming up on our Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, you will also notice that Maxi was once again not on this episode and that was because we couldn't make our schedules work. So we recorded with Maxi a separate bonus podcast to not just talk about their thoughts on Gakuhote, but also the original Gakuhote pilot one-shot that was included in the back of Volume 3. I think we spent at least another two hours talking about Gakuhote for some reason. Yeah, the discussion was actually longer on the Patreon episode than it is on the main episode, so <laughs> you're actually going to get more <laughs> off the discussion if you subscribe to the Patreon and listen to that episode than you even heard on this episode. Because that is what our patrons are paying for. They are Our patrons are paying for multiple hours, multiple extra hours of Gakuhote discussion, because that is what the world needs! You can't say we're not giving you your bang for your buck, or at least uh, <laughs> significant volume of audio to listen to for uh, your monthly support though i think like 10 minutes of that audio of that episode is just the judges ruling on gakyohote so if you want to see what judge mental ultimately ruled on the case gakyohote you're gonna have to listen to that episode Yes. So basically think of that as like a part two to this discussion. If for some reason you wanted to hear us talk about Gakuhote more, it will be coming up soon after you're listening to this episode. So please look forward to that at the end of this month. Again, patreon.com slash manga mavericks. But yeah, I think with all that, um, we should get into community shoutouts before we end the show. Yeah, if you somehow haven't had your fill of Gakuhote discussion after listening of the four hours of coverage <laughs> of the series we have on our show, check out Shonen Flop's own Gakuhote episode, which just by coincidence of timing, they also read and recorded an episode of Gakuhote on their show. And they had on actual professor lawyer Zach Logan, host of the one piece podcast to discuss the series though unlike the major difference between their episode and ours is that they only read like the first 13 episodes because if it's so bad they could not finish it we made david finish it on our show i feel kind of bad that we made them read the rest of it (laughs) yeah i mean especially for jordan because jordan didn't ultimately be able to be on but you know it was a good discussion i appreciate david for reading the rest for us but yeah if you want to listen to their episode on the series with zach who can give his actual perspective on the lack of actual symmetry to any actual real you know court proceedings and actual lawyering president gakyo they definitely listened to that and yeah they, they just went over all the things that again they didn't like made them uncomfortable about the the series as we did in our discussions. But also speaking of podcasts where Maxi is talking about canceled jump manga. Ooh. You know, they're not just doing it with us. They did do it with Shonen Flop, which we mentioned before. But also they just recently recorded an episode with Duck Face Diaries on Daisuke Hara's previous and canceled jump manga, Superdog Riental, which you can listen to on Wednesdaydale Cheddar's Patreon. And 
uh, you can listen to a, a little free snippet of it on their YouTube and the Duck Feast Diaries podcast as well. So yeah, definitely check that out. It's a good discussion. I'm always down for more uh, canceled jump manga discussion, especially from folks we really love, friends of ours in Maxi and Wesleydale. So definitely check that out. Always glad to listen to Maxi talk about manga on our shows as well as on ours. Mm-hmm. And for more Cancel Jump manga discussion, the most recent Cancel Jump title out is Earth Child, or rather, the most recent Cancel manga that's not out is Earth Child. It's not coming out anymore. And if you want an autopsy of that series, Manga Crash did a really good video on the series and kind of the oddities in its plotting and how it would change direction and stuff. And I thought it was a pretty fair, good assessment of the series's both strengths and its kind of failings and why a lot of people really didn't end up liking it ultimately but yeah that's a good video and you know speaking of videos covering cancel manga but it's based been released a pretty hefty one spotlighting a few titles recently you know going over ones that he really liked like i'm Paradox ghost rider and red hood and barrage as well as a few that he just takes some time to riff on in how poorly they were plotted or conceived in the name of like hi-fi cluster and Tokyo Shinobi Squad. So yeah, I mean, that was a good, fun video just to hear his thoughts on uh, a few different titles, spotlighting a few underrated gems and riffing on some real duds. And I mostly agree with all the ones that he took time to cover. You know, there were some that he very quickly mentioned that he may have been a little dismissive of. They're like, oh, no, I I like that one. But yeah, overall, you know, good spotlight of a lot of different cancelled jump manga. That basically does it for shoutouts related to canceled jump manga. But a lot of our discussion of Ga Quixote also touched upon the weird sexism and misogyny that's like undercurrent in the series. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good springboard to mention Colleen's recent video on misogyny in the manga community. Basically, if you've been in the community for a long time, but especially if you've been following, you know, people who are like really trying to promote and celebrate Shoujo Jose series, you see a lot of just misogynistic reactions to people just recommending or trying to show their love and support of series and titles aimed toward women and non-men, uh, cis men folks. So, you know... I think Colleen does a good job, like, using her own, like, examples of, like, how people are interacting with her social accounts and her channel and making, like, these straw arguments that really betray the fact that, yeah, they're just, like, highly defensive of their own sense of masculinity in your fandom spaces. And that is leading to a pushback of trying to devalue and trying to tear down anybody who is not that and is trying to promote works that are not meant for their group so yeah i appreciate their video really covering that and also of course discussing misogyny in just the manga industry itself like highlighting the problems in the shonen jump editorial department in particular that are very well known just within the industry at large just this double standard of it is okay for men to be in editorial positions positions of power at like shoujo magazines but not okay for women in shonen magazines and on shonen stories, just like that bizarre dichotomy and double standard of thinking. Ugh, yeah. So I think that Colleen did a very good job of just covering the rampant 
problems of discrimination of sexism and misogyny in the manga community the fandom as well as in the industry and i think that's pretty pertinent to the discussion of gakuhoti as we like note down like all the weird issues and hangups it has with women in that series and just how that can be tied back to just the fact that the shonen jump editorial department and then the audience is seen as just such a boys club that is just so like alienating of women and again, non-cis men folk. So those are the shout outs I wanted to recommend on this episode. And certainly we have a lot more that I have been meaning to mention that I'll be saving for some future episodes. But yeah, I think those are the most pertinent to this discussion. And that'll leave you for some good stuff to check out as we head into the wrap up for our show. And you look forward to our even more <laughs> discussion later on our Patreon as well as our future episodes. I still can't believe we talked for so long. I'm sure I said it at some point, but this might be like the longest we've talked about any canceled series. I mean, it is the longest we've talked about any canceled series if we combine both episodes. And it is perhaps the longest we have talked about any series, period. Oh, I don't want to hear that. (laughs) With the exception of Dragon Ball. Uh, Definitely with the exception of Dragon Ball. Yeah. Oh, man. There are other series where if you combine like our main discussion, our Q&A episodes, probably the audio over Daisy Akihote. So like, I guess Yona would be another one. World Shrieker, probably. We never learned, probably. But with the exception of those, like, yeah, Akihote is up there as like one of the longest, the most time we have spent discussing a series come up across different podcasts. Oh my god. Uh, well... I was going to say I guarantee the next series we're going to talk about is better, but that's without me double-checking our schedule to see what's coming up. Um, I'm sure I'm sure it'll be better than Gaku Well, Hotel. we are talking about another Cancel Jump series next month, so I will assure you that, yes, it is better than Gaku Hotel. Whether you agree that is a good series, I guess is going to depend. But I personally thought it was a much better series and enjoyable series, but not everyone on that podcast necessarily <laughs> agreed. So, yeah, I'll have to listen to that next month. To be fair... Most, I would say most series are still better than Gakuhote. It's it's a very low bar that's easily surpassable. Gakuhote <laughs> is definitely the worst manga, I think, period we have covered on the show thus far. I would be inclined to agree. At least among titles, we have dedicated an entire episode to it exclusively. I promise we'll get to wrap-ups in a second, but I will say, I just want to go on the record and say I would rather read Bakuman like three more times before I read Gakuhote again, quite honestly. At least Bakuman had stuff that I liked in it. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I came out of that discussion, you know... And reread a Bakuman, really down on it. Same, like, yeah. Before Gakuhote Bakuman was like my least favorite thing that we had covered on the show in terms of the experience of reading it and my feelings about it. But Gakuhote, yeah, it's, it's a it's a shame. Takashi Obata is unfortunately uh, two for three on manga. I did not like upon rereading. So I mean, we'll have to see what happens with Platinum End. Oh God. If Platinum End turns out to be worse than this, I might I might have to quit the show. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I think at the very least I mean, you're the one who wants to cover Platinum End, so it'll yeah, be all I your know. fault. So it's it's my own fault. 
God. I could leave it, but, you know, no, having read a good part of Platinum End and then the ending of Platinum End, I know what to brace myself for. I don't think it'll be worse than Gagote solely for the fact it doesn't feature the sexualization of children. That's a plus, I guess. So that will be a saving grace, but there are a lot of other bad stuff in it. So we will see how it, uh, and it's also much longer. So we'll see how that works out, how I'll feel about that when we do cover it in full. I need to actually go and do like a personal ranking of like what I think are the worst manga we've covered on the show, because I don't really have that on hand. But I kind of want to have that ready for when we do Platinum Men so I can make it official. I feel like we haven't covered a ton of manga we didn't like. Not a whole lot. Because for me, I can only think of Bakuman and Gakuhote, a series I really did not like coming out of it. Yeah. I was mixed on Tokyo Revengers as well. I definitely had my criticisms. Beyond those, for series that we dedicated episodes to, I can't really think of a lot else. Mm. Well, we'll save that for another time. We'll talk more about that probably on our Platinum Men episode. And hey, look, we got more Gakuhote discussion coming up on the Patreon, so we should probably just cap it there. And I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode, despite how uh, harrowing the, some of the discussion was. I, I hope people enjoyed it. I hope people got something out of this. If you did, it was all worth it then. That's all I'll say. But yeah, that was an episode of Manga Mavericks. Uh, I can't wait to cover more canceled Shonen Jump manga. And in general, I can't wait to talk about more manga and to have you guys listen. So until then, until the next time we could talk even more manga, especially manga that we like, we're going to go ahead and start wrapping up and letting you guys know where you could find us and everything we do, starting with my good friend, Lum. Where can the good people find you? You can find me at Lum Ramiyasha on Twitter. And it's Lumbermanch on a variety of places like AnyList, Animation Revelation, and Letterboxd. Wherever there is a Lumbermanchia, you can find me on there by that name. You can also read my manga reviews on mangaarts.com. Got a lot of books coming in. Lot of reviews planned to go out. Look forward to more on there as well as con coverage and interviews as we are getting those out as well. And on MangaRights.com, you can also find the other podcast I do, Lum Squad, the Yuri Siyatsa focused podcast I do with my good friend Andrew A.C. Yoshimura, where we discuss the wonderful and wacky world of Mugu Takahashi's classic sci-fi ronka manga, Yuri Yatsura. And we've been having a lot of fun covering the manga as it's coming out from this media. We're having fun revisiting the movies available streaming on Crunchyroll and on Blu-ray from Discotech. And we are so excited to start covering the new Yurisi Yatsa reboot anime that is starting on October 13th in less than a month. And it is so exciting. We definitely plan to cover that weekly if we can. Every new episode. We're so much looking forward to watching the new series, talking about the new series. And just uh, sharing our enthusiasm for it with the rest of the Yurisayatsu fandom. It's a very exciting time to be Yurisayatsu fan. So if you enjoy Yurisayatsu, the works of Rumiko Takahashi, gorgeous classic comedy manga in general, definitely listen to our show. You can find Lum Squad on Twitter at Lum underscore Squad, on Tumblr, LumSquad.tumblr.com, and also 
also you can find our YouTube channel by searching for it in the YouTube search bar. And of course, we're on every podcast platform you think of. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor. You name it, we're probably out. And we also cross-post episodes in the Manga Arts feed, as well as post episodes early and sometimes months early, much early, on the Manga Arts Patreon. And if you like the art I do, the thumbnails that I draw for our shows, or the illustrations and animations I make in general, you can find all of that on my Instagram, at SetArtWorks. All right, but as for me, I'm Colton. You could find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a lot of my own other podcasts outside of Manga Mavericks that you could find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Over there, if you click on the podcast page, you'll find links to basically everything I'm doing at the moment, even stuff that I'm not a part of anymore, but I still want to link anyway, and even a bunch of guest spots I've had on other podcasts over the years. So basically, if you want as complete of a listing of my stuff as possible, please go over to my personal blog once again at coltoncorner.wordpress.com and uh, check out all my stuff. Uh, But as for everything we do here at Manga Mavericks, uh, you can find every episode over at mangamavericks.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash mavericks, where at the $2 tier, you will have access to select episodes of the podcast, depending on when we have them edited. Basically, if we happen to have an episode of the podcast edited before it's scheduled to go out on our main feed, we'll put it up on our Patreon at the $2 tier for patrons to listen to before anyone else. But admittedly, that also depends on our schedules and whatever we're doing at the time. And, you know, basically, if you want more reliable content, admittedly, uh, you should sign up for our $5 tier where patrons will get a new bonus podcast at the end of every month. At the time of recording this, uh, the latest bonus podcast that's available is the latest installment of the Manga Mavericks Book Club, where right now... Uh, we just got done with a read-through of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 2, Battle Tendency, that I have been doing with my good friend Grant over at Grant the Thief on Twitter, also the host of such podcasts as Blade Laking Thieves, Super Senpai Podcast, and uh, Adventure Tomes. Uh, and yes, we are currently going through JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Uh, we're covering a volume per episode, and uh, we're just we're just talking about JoJo's because we can. You know, I enjoyed talking about JoJo on our main JoJo episode all those years ago that I decided I wanted to talk more about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And it's been a lot of fun. We're hopefully going to get to part three in the next couple of months. But until then, you can listen to our read-throughs of both parts one and two, uh, Phantom Blood and Battle Tendency, over at the Patreon. Once again, at patreon.com slash at the $5 tier, as well as a bunch of other bonus podcasts that we've been releasing every month, basically for the past few years since we started up our Patreon. We have so much stuff over there that you can listen to. Um, in general, when you sign up for our Patreon, it's really the best way for you guys to support us and everything we do here, uh, because everything we make on our Patreon goes right back to uh, website hosting, podcast hosting. It basically keeps the lights on. But yes, patreon.com slash mavericks. Please sign up if you so wish. But as for everything else, you can follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash mavericks, uh, where we post different excerpts of the podcast, including some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, youtube.com slash mavericks. Please subscribe to us. Email us anything at mangamavericks at gmail.com. Email us your thoughts on Gakuhote and why it's the worst manga we've covered on the show. Do you think there are any manga worse than Gakuhote that we should, God forbid, cover on the show? Um, do you have any thoughts on uh, just manga in general? Anything you're reading that you want to tell us about? Uh, email us anything about manga or the podcast. Once again, mangamavericks at gmail.com. Uh, we love getting emails from you guys uh, because when you send us an email, we'll read it on the show. Uh, but the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to 
podcast. We're on so many different platforms at this point, but especially on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and wherever you could do this kind of thing. Uh, if you leave us a rating and a review, it really helps the visibility of our show. And just in general, we love getting feedback from you guys, whether it be positive or negative, because we want to use that feedback to make the show as good as possible. All right, but that is going to be about it for this episode. Once again, this has been episode 215 of the Manga Mavericks podcast, and we'll see you guys next time for episode 216. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.